You're listening to the Investing.com's weekly crypto podcast with your host, Clément Thibault. Hello, everyone. I'm Clément Thibault, and welcome to Investing.com's weekly crypto podcast, CryptoTalk. Today, like we usually do, we'll be going over the weekly news. We'll be taking a look at what happened this past week. And the idea behind it is that you can stay updated with whatever's happening in the crypto markets. And, you know, 15 to 20 minutes, we'll go over the three most important things that happened this week. We'll analyze it a little bit, give it a little background if you need it, if you haven't been following the entire story. And uh, yeah, that's what we're going to be doing here today. Uh, all right. So uh, now that we've got that covered, let's move on to the topics of this week. All right, so this week we're going to be talking about three things. We're going to be talking about uh, BitConnect because the FBI is now looking for victims. We're going to be talking about how self-regulation can help ICOs. We're going to talk about the case of Gladius that actually managed to avoid penalties by self-regulating and coming to the SEC saying, hey, we did something wrong, let's fix it. And we are going to talk about Samsung. So Samsung has a first press release that concerns its new S10, uh, which is going to be, I'm sure, an amazing phone. And apparently that new S10 will have secure storage backed by hardware, which houses your private keys for blockchain-enabled mobile services. That's from the press release from Samsung. So will will we have a hard wallet inside our phones? Like, is this what Samsung is trying to do? And how will this affect, you know, the mainstream approach to crypto? Because now everyone can hold cryptocurrency in their own phone. It's that, is that where the world is going? So that's really two interesting questions. And those are the, the three topics that we're going to be talking about today. All right, so the big news that we're going to be opening with today is that the FBI is seeking potential victims who invested in the cryptocurrency BitConnect. Uh, so if you invested in BitConnect, first of all, see that as a PSA, a public service announcement. Listen, the FBI is looking for people. You can go on the FBI website or probably just search FBI BitConnect and you will find the form that you are supposed to fill out. So you'll be filling out uh, when you found out about BitConnect, on what platform you were initiated into the, the Ponzi scheme. So there's a few questions that you will have to answer, and I'm sure that the FBI will be conducting interviews because they're trying to figure out exactly what happened and and what's the extent of people getting hurt. So uh, if you're not familiar with BitConnect at all, I'll tell you that BitConnect was a Ponzi scheme where they're guaranteed investors a 1% return on their investment every day. So basically, it was sort of a lending platform where you could lend money and get a percent every day back. So obviously a percent with compound interest, it grows exponentially. And in a matter of, you know, weeks to months, you can get really, really rich. And that's what that's what got people in. That's why people wanted to join because they were kind of blinded by the profits in a way. So uh, you could trade BitConnect basically on its own exchange. It wasn't open like a lot of other coins that trade on a lot of places. Uh, towards the end, I think it opened on hit BTC as well, but I'm not sure. Uh, but Anyway, it was a Ponzi scheme. It was a bona fide Ponzi scheme, and it crashed in 2018, where regulators from Texas and from North Carolina uh, processed a cease and desist order. And basically, since then, uh, well, the price of BitConnect coins has plummeted from I think it was over $400 at some point, and now it's it trades for 60 cents, and it's obviously not even worth the 60 cents. So I'm not even sure why it's worth anything. 
uh, but that's another story. So I wanted to do this as a PSA and also to kind of talk about and always reinforce the fact that if it sounds too good to be true, especially in crypto world, it definitely is. And that's something that you should always remember in any time you deal with something that has to do with investments, not even crypto. So we're talking stocks, bonds. If someone promises you an investment in lumber or rice fields in India or whatnot, it's it's basically a scam and it's 99% to be a scam if the returns sound too good to be true and even if they sound mildly positive and i say that you know if if you can get nine percent from the s p historically looking back if so, if anyone promises you more than that you know a yearly return of more than nine percent you should be very very skeptical of what's going on there and so you know you'd say hey the writing was on the wall about bitconnect and a lot of people knew and that's true a lot of people try to voice their concerns but still it's estimated that 1 billion dollars has been lost completely from investors and i remember that day on reddit if you went there to the bitconnect subreddit you could see that people were writing listen i lost all my life savings i'm not sure what to do people were publishing the suicide hotline to remind others that you know this wasn't the end of the road so it was a really really meaningful event and another thing to remember here is that the FBI is just now getting to vit to victims about a year and something after you know the entire operation closed so these things really really take time and i think in 2018 all the lawsuits were combined into one giant class action lawsuit uh, so again if you are a victim of bitconnect you know contact the attorneys try to see what you can do to get your money back because at the end of the day that's the goal uh, is there a high likelihood of your, you getting your money back? No, there isn't. But still, you know, even maybe for the closure in a way. So the FBI investigation of BitConnect is going along. I think it might take uh, another year or two before we have all the facts and, and everything is settled. These things, like I said, take a lot of time. Uh, but just, you know, getting periodical updates on BitConnect and actually knowing that, you know, they are looking for the people responsible and, and someone will hopefully pay the price for all the lying and all the, the stealing money that has been happening at BitConnect. So that's it for BitConnect. Uh, we'll be moving on to another topic this time uh, that also has to do with the authorities because I, I feel like the intersection between the authorities and crypto is, is one of the most interesting conflicts today. That's why I love covering it, whether it's the ETFs with the SEC or crypto lawsuits and that kind of those kind of things. I really feel like the, the crypto world will be shaped you know, in, in the interaction between law enforcement and various government agencies to crypto. So it's very, very interesting. And we're going to be moving on to Gladius, uh, which conducted an unregistered ICO. But this story ends on relatively good terms, it seems. So let's go and let's see what happened there. So Gladius Networks, uh, they conducted an ICO late 2017. They raised $12.5 million dollars. Uh, which is not a small sum. Uh, what they wanted to do, basically, they planned on developing a network for for renting spare computer bandwidth. And the idea was that the token would be later used uh, to purchase the services and to actually rent bandwidth. So that's why they issued their own tokens as a measure of payment. That's what, or that's what they claim to do in their white paper. Now, uh, like most other ICOs, this ICOs did not uh, register for federal securities law. Uh, it did not qualify for an exemption. So basically, yeah, they violated securities law. 
And one of the things that are interesting and why I'm bringing this case to you. So we've talked about Ether Delta and Paragon, I think, uh, in a podcast a while back. And those was and that, and we talked about it because it was really the first time that the SEC charged and settled uh, with a couple of ICOs that were unregistered. And that was very interesting. And this one is interesting because Gladius self-reported to the SEC in the summer of 2018. So about six to eight months ago, these guys realized that the SEC will be coming down on ICOs and will be, you know, prosecuting people and trying to find guilty people. So what they did is they actually self-reported to the SEC and they went to the SEC and they told them, listen, uh, we had an unregistered securities offering, basically, and we want you to help us comply. And the really interesting thing here is that because Gladius came to the SEC and because they cooperated with the investigation, the SEC did not impose a penalty. So I think Ether Delta was fined like $300,000, but Gladius was not fined a single dollar because they made the step themselves and went and said, listen, we did, we did something wrong and we want to make it right. Now, they weren't fined, but they still have to reimburse investors that purchase tokens in the ICO. And they will from now on have to report to uh, the SEC. So that's very interesting here. And again, I think that we all know that the SEC's hammer is coming at some point. And like I said in the earlier segment with the FBI, it takes time. And sometimes being proactive can actually help you get to your goal because at the end of the day, it was, a, it was a really easy way to raise funds. So you had an idea, you put it in a white paper, and you raised fund ICOs, right? But uh, now that there are legal repercussions, you know, they still, they still raised $12 million. So they probably still have something in their award chest, enough for, a lawyer, if enough for a lawyer and to comply with securities law. So it's actually a smart move from their end. They got penalized less. And, you know, I have to believe that at some point the SEC would have gotten to them anyway. And so it sends a very peaceful, cooperative signal towards the, co the crypto community, in my opinion, because this news basically said, listen, if you made a mistake and, and, you know, it happens, right, you make a mistake, come and we'd rather make it right for your investors than to penalize you and put you in jail and, you know, fine you. And that's basically what the commission says here. Listen, just come to us. We'll figure something out. And I think, again, we, we've seen over the past few months, I think, healthier dialogue between when it comes to regulation. And really, as long as the project itself wasn't a fraud, because there's a very big difference between, you know, ICOs that issued a token, but are, you know, it's a legitimate venture, but they issued a token and that token's a security and that's wrong. Between, you know, someone was selling something that was never meant to be created, exit scam, took the money and ran away. So, of course, those the second category ICOs, the ones that were fraud, obviously have no business going to the SEC. But if you actually have a business and you actually have a good idea and you did something wrong and eventually, you know, raising money definitely helped getting those businesses off the ground. So it's kind of like asking for forgiveness rather than for permission in a way. But once you are actually established and you can see that you can go forward, you're well better, you will be better off going and asking for forgiveness and doing whatever you need to do, you know, to be compliant rather than have the, the hammer dropped on you and then lose other funds and still have to comply if you want to continue with the operations. So again, I don't think every legal case is interesting, especially those that didn't happen before. But when something like that comes out and it's kind of a first, it's really interesting because again, you see the development between 
law enforcement and crypto and how and how all these things work together to create the future so that's very interesting and for our last topic today we'll be moving on to samsung into a blockchain offering and har a hardware wallet inside your s10 let's see all right moving on to samsung so it's not the first time that we hear about some sort of blockchain offering inside a samsung phone and earlier this year, we saw S10 images that actually said Samsung Blockchain Key Store. There was a little icon and it was described as a secure and convenient place for cryptocurrency and somewhere to secure and manage your blockchain private key. So in, in early leaks the last year, we actually saw that they were actually going towards the blockchain. And in December, there was another leak that said that the S10 would have a cold wallet, a hardware cold wallet, and a hot wallet. And the news here is that that's not just a leak anymore. So we now have confirmation from Samsung that the S10 will actually have some sort of cryptocurrency offering within it. Uh, and that it will allow you to store keys and to store funds and other things. Now, we're not exactly sure and the details are very scarce. So we're not sure if it'll be a Bitcoin wallet or an Ethereum wallet or some kind of combination of the two. We, we don't know what Samsung has been working on. And that's something that we will really, you know, it's really exciting, I think, going forward. Because I think Samsung sells, uh, you know, tens of millions of devices every year of every flagship. And in the end of the day, it just says that, you know, that step where you have to go open a wallet online and you have to know what you're doing, basically, well, that's it, that you don't have to do that anymore. Your phone will come with a wallet in it where you just can press a button, receive an address and receive funds. Or that's, I believe, the idea behind it and what I hope it will become. Now, like I said, there's a lot of things that we don't know. And one of them is, will this wallet be secure? And will Samsung uh, release the code of the wallet in a way to make it open source so that other people can audit it. You should know by now that one of the mottos of, of the cryptocurrency community is don't trust, verify. So obviously you wouldn't want to put all your funds and your Bitcoins in a wallet that you have no control over that is owned completely by Samsung. And you know, it's a closed source wallet. That's always been a pain point for the crypto community. And honestly, for a lot of the software community that likes to share and like to audit and like to you know review everything themselves. So we, I don't believe we'll have the code for Samsung's uh, wallet. I hope we will, because then it's, it will enable uh, independent security researchers to take a look and obviously improve the security. So it's, it's big news because at the end of the day, that's really putting crypto in the hands of a lot of people. And we're talking tens of millions of people here. The effect, again, because we're not exactly sure what this offering will be, definitely still remains to be seen. But I think it's a net positive at the end of the day that tens of millions of people will have a blockchain cryptocurrency related application on their phone. And if we're looking to bring people on board and to explain to people what it is, actually getting a working product in their hands, that will definitely make a big, big difference going forward. So it's a, it's a big step by Samsung. I think it's a very positive step for blockchain and cryptocurrency. But I'm still having trouble to believe that, you know, this one application will open, you know, the floodgates and will get a lot of people into crypto. Because at the end of the day, and I know because I have an S9 myself, there are a bunch of preloaded applications that I've never opened. A lot of Samsung bloatware, honestly, that I've, I've never opened. I've never felt the need to use. I have no idea what to do. And they're just, they sit on my phone, you know, they came with the phone and okay, I'm, I'm okay with it. And that's it. 
So it's it's also a possibility that at the end of the day, a lot of people will do exactly what I do with, I don't know, maybe health applications that I really don't care about and will never really bother to open it. But for those that are interested, it will help and bring some people maybe closer to experimenting with blockchain and Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. So that's what I'm saying that it's a positive. I'm not sure it's the big positive that a lot of people seem to be making of it. It doesn't mean that we will now have, you know, tens of millions of new people in crypto. It won't. It just means that the people that are interested will maybe have a little easier time to getting really into cryptocurrency and that world of, of wallets and funds. All right. So that's it for this week. So let's move out to the outro. All right. Another Sunday, another podcast. It's a pleasure to be here every week. A bit of news. I think we'll be moving towards uh, interviews. And I'm not sure that Cryptoc will remain as it is known today as Cryptoc. And maybe we'll move towards a format where it's more investing interviews, where we can bring people from all over the investing world, fund managers and such, to talk and to interview them and to ask them about their insights on the market and their insights on, you know, their own business. And I think that this could be very, very interesting and may maybe have some more of a widespread appeal to people. So we'll be going over that here internally. We'll be debating it in weeks to come and we'll keep you updated, of course. Uh, for any thoughts or concerns or comments, please find me on Twitter at C-L-E-M-T-H-I-B-A-U-L-T. That's my name. Uh, you can also find this podcast on investing.com. If you search my name in the search bar, it'll come up. And there's a comment section there as well. So feel free to drop a comment there. All right. Thanks for being with us uh, every Sunday. I appreciate it. And I'll see you in the next one.